Most of us can think back to a time when posters everywhere had a picture of what we lovingly call Uncle Sam, very stern look on his face, pointing his bony finger at you, at us, and said, we want you. Remember that? Now, I don't, most of us weren't being called to the Second World War. I wasn't. I was born just before Pearl Harbor, and so uh, when I went down to volunteer, they wouldn't take me. Uh, you understand why that is, I suppose. But <clears throat> I remember the signs, if only from the history books. But the vision is exactly what we want to talk about today, because it's not Uncle Sam that's saying, I want you. It's God. God, in his infinite wisdom and mercy, wants you. Wants you. And I want you to take that term uh, singularly, personally. And we're not talking about the you for the universe, and we are. But we want to talk about you. And I'm going to start pointing some fingers now. Uh, you. He wants you. Just as that Uncle Sam poster, if you're looking at it head on, and that finger is pointing right at you. And today, we're going to finish a series that I've entitled uh, <coughs> Experiencing God. And I hope that uh, as we do this closure on that, that we will, in fact, draw closer and closer to him. Uh, let's pray together. Gracious, loving Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you today for the fact that you do love me, love us so much that you sent your Son. We ask now that your Holy Spirit will open our minds and set aside all of the physical cares of the life today, this hour, in order that we might clearly see the message that you have for us today. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The title of this particular message is God Will Accomplish His Work Through You. God will accomplish His work through you. We've talked about there are seven spiritual realities, realities that we need to know about the Lord. And oh, by the way, before I forget, and I will if I don't get to do it now, Hold on to your songbook. We're going to take a look at those songs that we sang just a few moments ago, as well as the one we're going to sing in closing, because I think they do a very fine job of pointing out uh, what we're actually talking about in this idea of experiencing God, knowing God. Write those letters in capital letters, K-N-O-W-I-N-G, underline, italicize, bold, all of those little icons that you push on your computer now in order to print things out, knowing God, truly knowing God. And in order to do that, there are these realities. And they are as follows. And we've talked about each one of them individually as we come to this last message today. God is always at work around you. Always. 
Now think about that as an individual. Think about you and your individual walk as you've come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. When you finally got around to saying, yes, I do need Jesus, and you walked the aisle or you you got down on your knees over your bed and and prayed the the sinner's prayer, wherever it might have been, doesn't make any difference where it was, while you were driving on the freeway, hope you didn't close your eyes, uh, that kind of thing. But wherever you were, God, I really blew it. I need you. Please come into my life. You said those words or words to that effect. Who were you talking to? God. And God heard you. And God answered you. God is always at work around you. Not just then, not just at that moment, but always. And we looked at many examples in Scripture, and we'll mention them in passing uh, today, uh, where that is true. The reality of that is just so obvious. How did we miss it? Why does somebody have to come along and remind us of it? God is always at work around you. And because he's always at work around you, it mirrors for us the idea that he pursues a continuing love relationship with you that's real and personal. He's personally involved with you. Now, I, as a pastor, have told all of you this several times, and so you'll remember what I said. I pray for every single one of you every day, personally, because I know that's the beauty of having a church like this. I know, except for the four people that came in today, See, I even, I even know that, don't I? The four people that came in today that I haven't met, I know every single one of you personally. I know something about you. So that when I say I'm praying for John, there's no Johns in the room unless one of the gentlemen that came in is John. But I, as I pray for John, I have specific things to remember about John, about his life, about things that are going on. And if you've been around for a little while, I probably know a little bit about what what you're praying for, what what's bothering you, what's creating a problem in your life, in order that I can join with you and pray for you. And we have the things on the back of the bulletin, of course. Those are prayer requests that you have generated to us, that we as a congregation, all of us, can pray. That's a personal relationship. I have a personal relationship with you. But more than that, God knows all of that. God even knows the four people that walked in today. Praise his holy name. God is always at work around you, and he has a continuing love relationship with you. Once again, I'll point the fingers. And God invites you to become involved with him in his work. Let's look at, let's be political for a moment. Anybody, when, when the president is elected, whoever it might be, you know, good or bad, whoever the president is, what does he gather around him but the, but the cabinet? He draws people uh, from various walks of life into his cabinet to advise him, to help him do the work that he has set out to do. You have been called as an ambassador for Christ. You have been called to be a spokesperson 
for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what you've been called to do. If you're wondering what your mission in life is, well, if I've been saved, why don't we just quit right now, stop my heart from beating, I'll go to heaven, and it's all over with. Because he has a job for you. He's giving you the joy. He's giving you the wonderful opportunity of taking the very love that God has placed in your heart, that has He's that forgiving love that he's provided to you, and you have the opportunity of being an usher for that for someone else. That's what he's invited you to do. A very high privilege. Very high. The most important thing that you're going to do in life is satisfy the need that the Lord has placed in your heart to reach out and touch others. And God speaks to us by the Holy Spirit. He spe- how do we, how does that happen? It happens in the, it happens by our reading of the Bible. It happens as we pray. And I want to take a moment and talk about pray in a second. Uh, it talks, uh, it happens here at church in the opportunity for us to fellowship one with another and love one another. Oh, the love in the room yesterday. Well, we'll talk probably more about that in a minute. But it's beautiful. We had a beautiful day yesterday fellowshipping in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Sharing God's love, testifying, well, this is what's going on in my life, and look at what's happened to me, and our speaker did a wonderful job of showing how God has worked in her life. And every one of us could get up here and testify as to how God has made a marvelous difference in our lives. I can do it. Shirley can do it. Every one of you can do that. And that's what you've been called to do, to be a witness, to be uh, an ambassador, if I would, an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit is there to guide and to lead you. God's invitation for you to work with him always leads you to a crisis of belief. Can I really do this? Can I really do this? And think about it. We think about all of these when we think about Moses and we think about David and we think about all of them, quote, the heroes of the Bible and all of the great things that they have done. But if you look at the beginning of the story, for every single one of them, they tripped and stumbled and even fell. Not really truly understanding that God is there with them every step of the way. Moses said, hey, I'm not a speaker. You want me to go to Pharaoh? There's something wrong with your ideas here, God. Pick somebody else. Pick somebody else. Abraham said, this idea of of having an offspring, come on. I mean, let's face it, Sarah's 90. You know, we've kind of given up on that idea. Sarah gave up completely, got in a little trouble. We won't go into that story, which led her where? Led her into sin. Led Abraham into sin. Because there's a time then when Abraham doubted God. He said, well, we'll do it my way. We'll do it the fleshly human way. Hence Hagar. Hence Ishmael. God creates a, God doesn't create the crisis. There's a crisis of belief. There's a crisis of belief. And I think we mentioned uh, 
So Mary and Joseph, the Christmas story. Think about them. Think about that story. And the story that we talk about in regards to Mary and Joseph aren't the Christmas story anyway. Christmas is, we think in terms of the birth, we're talking about nine months prior to the birth. That's when all of those things happened. That's when the angel came to Mary. That's when the angel came to, to Joseph. That's what, and so on. Crisis. A crisis of belief. I can't do this. Oftentimes, I just won't do it. There's no way that I can do it. Crisis of belief. And it requires faith. And it requires action. And you must make adjustments in your life in order that uh, to join God in the work that he's doing. You've got to make adjustments. How can I possibly... I've got to take time out of my life to talk to you. Oh, I don't want to do that. Hey, I've got a TV program I want to watch. Hey, I, I'm an avid baseball fan. Well, I got to, that's a lie. I'm not. But that doesn't, never gets in my way. I, you know, what am I, you want to know what I do on Super Bowl Sunday? The same thing I do every other Sunday. And it ain't football, right? Uh, but there it is. There's things of the world that I allow distract me from doing what's really important. And what's really important is my fulfilling the mission that Christ has placed upon me to accomplish. And that's to reach out. Now you say, well, he's a pastor. He's got a, he's got a job to do. Now, well, let's set aside the job that I have to do. I've got a mission to perform as a Christian. I'm just a, a Christian man. As the other Christian men in this room. And you're a Christian woman. Just as all of the other Christian women in the you know, you might have a title that kind of elevates you in a way that makes you, well, he's a pastor. He's got to say it that way. He's a pastor. He should be out there knocking on doors. He should be sharing the love of Jesus Christ with others. That's, that's his job. It's your job. Our job. It's our job. Crisis. Major adjustments. We have to come to know that that adjustment has to do with what I need to do. And what I hear is not talking about Martin Hubler. It's talking about every single person in the room. Every single person that calls themselves a Christian has adjustments to make in their life in order that they might do what? In order that they might join God in the work that he has planned for them to do. And our lady yesterday said, that she was uniquely qualified to do what she has done in her life. And she carried on to say, then she pointed around to all the women in the room, every one of you are uniquely qualified and God has prepared or is preparing you to do the work that he has for you. That's that God that's with us all the time, that's always at work around us. And today we come to the seventh reality, and it's you come to know God by experience as you obey him, and he accomplishes his work through you. I can't tell you the spiritual joy that I have experienced years ago as as a young Christian, not a young man, but a young Christian, when someone responded to the love of Jesus Christ because I, quote, quartered him and did the four spiritual laws with him. God loves you. as a wonderful plan for your life. 
Oh yeah, what's that? And back and, and so on. And he prayed the sinner's prayer. And he came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And he joined a fellowship and became a, a living, breathing Christian. I'll put it that way, from physical to spiritual. The joy that I felt. And take a look at my Bible. I don't have any notches on it. It's not a notching kind of a thing. Because it isn't me anyway. When people come and suggest to me that, oh, what a great message this was. And I've had people really, as demented as they probably are, tell tell me, how oh, how wonderful this is and how wonderful that was. Oh, that's the best message I've ever heard in my entire life. Billy Graham has nothing on you. That Oh, oh, all of that stuff. But let me tell you this. Well, hey, I've got a whole box of CDs back there. You need to pay. You need to listen. She's up here giving me hand signals about timing and all of that. Maybe you better start taking notes again. We love to do this interplay, Shirley and I. It just makes things Lightens the load, doesn't it? But there there we are. Now where was I? Oh, I was talking about, okay, every time, and praise God for this because it gets it can get sticky the other way. Every time that someone does that, and it happens occasionally, my first thought is, thank you, Lord Jesus, because I know, I know that anything that I do is because of him. Anything that I do from here, any any magic words that I might speak aren't magic words at all. I'm just a mouthpiece for God. That's all. Years ago, and some of you probably have listened to uh, J. Vernon McGee on the radio, got to be the most horrible speaking voice that God has ever placed in the body of a man. <clears throat> and I was overseas, separated from my wife in the, in the year that the Marine Corps had me overseas. And I listened to Bible studies and mu- Christian music on the radio station that was there. And, and it was so wonderful. And I'd come in and I'd be really tired and I'd lay down and he'd come on. And I'd get up and turn the radio off. I said, oh, it grated on my ears. Oh, it was terrible. Well, one night I was just so tired that I couldn't get up and turn it off. And so there I was listening and grading. Oh, oh. And then he said something, something very profound. I said, this guy knows what he's talking about. I can't stand his voice, but he knows what he's talking about. And one of the first commentators now, when I read commentary, uh, is J. Vernon McGee. Well, what does J. Vernon McGee say about this verse? It's not the messenger, it's the message. It's the message. And where does the message come from? The message comes from the Holy Spirit. The message comes from the love of God. The message comes, if there's, if I do anything, it's just I'm exercising the faith that God has given to me through the Holy Spirit. You come to know God by experience as you obey Him. I used to have a vocabulary that you would, oh, he's going to hell for sure. And there was a day in which I don't even think the terms anymore. Do I still hear them? Well, I live in the 21st century. Uh, you can't help it. Uh, 
And I have to remind myself, oh yeah, I remember what those words mean. (laughs) But I don't think them. I have to, it's almost like I automatically, I'm on a 24-hour clock. At 1 o'clock this afternoon, it's going to be 1,300. I think 1,300. If someone says it's 1 o'clock, my brain says 1,300, and then I translate it to civilian speak. And she hates it. If I say 1,300 to her, well, I just don't. I mean, I know better. I just don't. But I think it. And so sometimes she asks me, you know, well, what time is it? And I have to, wait a minute, I'll say it in your language in just a minute. Uh, 1300 translate. Oh yeah, it's one o'clock. I'm joking, of course, but you got the idea. God worked a miracle in my life. We went to a Bible study years ago and we were sitting across the, the way from a fellow, a fellow Marine that I served with in Vietnam. And he looked at me and he stuck his bony finger out at me and pointed directly at me. And I'm parking right, pointing right down the center aisle here. So don't anybody think I'm pointing at you. And he said, I now understand the whosoever in John 3.16 because if he can be saved, anybody can be saved. And my initial thought was, I'm not such a bad guy. But he saw... He saw the evil in me. Uh, I was trying to figure out what he actually saw. But anyway, there it is. If God can save me, it's duck soup for anybody else. And all I need to do then, what, is to share God. Sharing God gives me the opportunity of fulfilling the mission that he has set for me. But even more than that, it draws me closer to him. And I experience him more fully. And I can say that I know him. In Revelation, it says Jesus stands at the door and knocks. And oftentimes we use that as a, uh, as a salvation verse. He's just right, he's knocking at, at the door of your heart. And all you have to do is invite him to come in and you're saved and, and so on. And, and I'm not knocking that in that thinking. But it's really more than that. Because Jesus stands at the door of your heart and knocks. He's knocking on your door every single moment of every day. And how are you going to respond? How are you going to respond? And the more that you know him and the more that you trust him and the more that you realize that the things he's asking you to do are for a wonderful, wonderful purpose, draws you closer and closer and closer to him to the point that you then can say, I'm coming to really know God. I know God in his saving grace. I know God in his provision for my life and miracles that have happened in my life financially. Uh, I'm still waiting for the lottery. I'm still waiting for Publishers Clearinghouse uh, and, you know, and so on. Uh, but, and, but I don't pray about those things. Honestly, I don't. But the idea being <clears throat> is I'm, I pray that I'm able to fulfill the mission that God has set before me, that I have the strength to fulfill it. And sometimes I wonder if I do have the strength. 
But it always seems that I make it through, what I'll talk about today, I make it through today and I get home and I decide it's at 2 o'clock by the time I get home after I usually go to lunch with one of you. Uh, and I know I have to unload the car because everything, the beauty about this building is that we don't have to set up the chairs and the piano and I don't have to do any of that. But everything else I have to bring in. And Joe and I and Rosie and Shirley, uh, we set it all up. And then we tear it all down and we put it back in my car and I take it home and it has to go out in the garage for the week and back and forth. And I get home and I say, well, I need to unload the car. And then I make this terrible physical mistake. I sit down in the living room. And the next thing I know, it's time for my afternoon nap. (laughs) And oftentimes the car doesn't get unloaded until Monday. That's not a good thing. But, But you get the idea. I just wind down. I've provided with the energy that I need to get the job done, to get the spiritual work done. And then then it's up to me (laughs) to make it that last step. But I did get home yesterday, and I did unload the car before I did anything else. In fact, we even had a guest in the house. My sister was here, and uh, I unloaded the She helped me unload the car. Bless her heart for that. But, uh, well, there's good and bad in that because she also tried to show me how to unload the car. And I've been unloading this car for six years in the years that we've been here together. God, you come to know God by experiencing him. And how do you experience him? By joining with him in his work. How do I know Shirley as well as I know Shirley? Well, we've lived 40, well, I'm going to talk about anniversaries again. Uh, But we've been married a long time. And we've been through a lot of stuff. We've raised four children. We have grandchildren. And all of you, yeah, yeah, nothing big a deal about that. Every one of you can probably say that, or most of you. But all of those things have created a knowledge that I have in Shirley that I don't have in anybody else in the room, even though I say I personally know many of you, most of you. I know how Shirley reacts to our grandchildren each one of them individually. I know how Shirley reacts to me when I say 1,300, and I so I don't. I don't, except in places like this where I can get away with it. See, she's down there, and I'm up here, and, I mean, she might say something, but she never comes up to hit me. Uh, But if we're sitting together on the couch and I say 1,300, uh, I have a bruise. It's a permanent bruise on this arm. You are preaching and you shouldn't be lying. Yes, dear. Yes, dear. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. And you know these verses. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that anyone can boast. You didn't do it. God did it. How did God do it? God sent his son. God went to the cross. Jesus went to the cross for you. But it goes on. Because verse 10, and that's, everybody stops at verse 9. Oh, it's great. Jesus, you know, there it is. Holy Spirit, da-da-da-da, hooray for me. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Ooh. Which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has work for you to do. 
put your name in there instead of you. He has work for you to do. He has work for Martin to do. He has work for Shirley to do. I can't pick on anybody else. That is uniquely designed for you. And all you have to do is, after you've had that little crisis of belief, like Moses said, okay, I'll do it. And sometimes that's how excited you are about it. Okay, yeah, I'll do it. Uh, But there you are. I pray that we never get to the point of Jonah. Jonah wanted it was told to go to Nineveh, chapter 1. And Nineveh said, "Uh uh-uh. And he ran away. And in chapter 2, he got swallowed by the great fish. And and then in chapter 2, he prayed to get out of the great fish, whole and alive. And he spit it out on the ground, whole and alive. And in verse 1 of chapter 3, God said, go to Nineveh. And Jonah said, yeah, I guess I will. And he did. But if you ever read his salvation message, God is very upset with you, Nineveh. And in 40 days, you're toast. Now, there's a hellfire and brimstone message if I've ever heard one. That was his message. That was it. There was no four spiritual laws. God loves you as a wonderful plan for your life. No, no. God has a plan. The king got a, got together with his elders. We talked about elders already and said, what? Maybe, just maybe if we bow and pray and, and turn from our wicked ways, et cetera, et cetera, that God will hear us and will forgive us. And God did. And Jonah was overjoyed. Now, I read chapter 4, and I hope you did too. Jonah was really ticked off. I knew this was going to happen. And I hate the Ninevites so much. I mean, I saw, I could actually physically see them marching to hell. And look what you've done, God. You've ruined my day. Now, where was God's love in Jonah's heart that day? And we don't really know because then the chapter ends. Is that you? God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And it said God so loved the world that he sent his son to die in order that they might be forgiven. Which means then, and here you've heard this before, it's possible that Hitler's in heaven, that Stalin is in heaven. Let's think about the other bad guys. That Charles, is he dead? Yeah, Charles yeah. Manson? Is in heaven. Oh, that I don't want to go. That's silly. That's silly. That Mo, that was his name. Mo pointed that finger at me and said, if you can be forgiven, anybody can be forgiven. And I mean, I was, I guess, evil, but I don't think I compared to some of the guys I just mentioned. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. God loves you so much that he's willing to sacrifice his son for you. Jesus went to the cross for Shirley. Jesus went to the cross for Martin. Jesus went to the cross for my daughter Tiffany. Jesus went to the cross uh, for my sister Radine, who some of you met yesterday. Wonderful, wonderful woman that taught me how to unload the car yesterday. Uh, uh, Oh, 
That didn't sound loving, did it? (laughs) But you got the idea. God loves you so much that he sent his son. And even beyond sending his son, he has what? He has created in Christ Jesus the works which God has prepared for you in advance to do. That's the God that we're talking about. That's the God that we're talking about. The definition of obedience, oh, Shirley did a fantastic job. That's why I asked you to look at the hymnal. And I've got it in my hand. Look at this. Second song in. Trust and obey. You sang, I'm going to talk about the third verse because you didn't sing that one. But there it is. Trust and obey. But we never can prove the delights of his love until all on the altar we lay. For the favor he shows and the joy he bestows are for them who will do what? Trust and obey. Cute little ditty song. We all love that song. Trust and obey. For there's, oh, I don't know sing. Shame on me. I'm sorry. I apologize for that. Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Jesus said in his word, if you love me, you'll do, uh, let's see, I'll think of it in a minute. Keep my commandments. I've heard that somewhere. Have you? Have you read that somewhere? I hope. And so we look at the commandments. And I did a series on the commandments. The first four commandments are what? This is how you have your relationship with me. I'm it. First one or First commandment, second commandment, no other gods before me, third commandment, watch your mouth, and so on. And then five through ten, this is how I want you to act in the world. Honor your mother and your father. Don't kill anybody. Murder anybody. That's actually what the scripture says. Don't do the, you know, the sexual thing. We'll just skip that for now. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't even, don't even foster a little thought in your mind and covet. Because verse, the 10th commandment basically leads to all of the others, if you think about it. Well, we're not going to preach the 10 commandments today, but there it is. God loves you so much that he's shown you the best way to live with your fellow man. And we had a lesson today in church history. In church history, he was talking about the split of the church and why the Muslims hate the Christians and the Christians hate the Muslims and all of all of that business. And all through that lesson, I was thinking to myself, where's the love? Where's the grace? Where's the love that God has given to us in the actions that these people take? The only good Indian is a dead Indian is the history that we've had in our country you know we're talking about native americans you know we talk about slavery you know how do you how do you do slavery how do you do the slavery as we understood it uh in our early history and have the love that god has given what to every man to humankind where's the love trust and obey don't steal don't lie etc etc and the definition of obedience let me read you something. Who, pardon, <laughs> forgot the word. Wholeheartedly doing what God commands, 
because of God's wholehearted love for you in his son, Jesus Christ. Now think about that. That pointed finger at me, if I could be saved, anybody could be saved. So think about God. He's, oh, Martin. Yeah, I sent my son. Does that mean I got to save him too? Oh, that's really stretching it. Is that God? No, of course it isn't. God loved me so much. God loves you so much that he sent his son. So wholeheartedly doing what God commands because of his love for us. And so we translate the very same love that he has given to us so wholeheartedly and we should be giving it to the unwashed out there Uh, unwashed meaning unsaved, out there wholeheartedly, in spite of the despiteful way and the nasty things they've said about me, out there. I still love you. God still loves you. We have an example of that kind of love right out here uh, watching television right now. We've been here for almost six years. He's been here for about five of them. And we started out... uh, that many years ago, just walking by and say, hi, God loves you. And we invite him to church every Sunday and et cetera, et cetera. And I give him a cup of coffee and, and he never comes in. He's never been in. He walks in sometimes. He walked in this morning, gave Shirley our salad for lunch today and, uh, and walked out again. And I gave him a cup of coffee. But his attitude towards us has changed over those years. Just in the open we didn't ask him, you know, put something in the offering box, da, da, da. nothing. Just, we just showed him love. We showed him concern. We showed him care. I mean, he's got some physical ailments, and we I prayed about them. I told him I'd pray about them, and he says, don't waste your prayers. And my prayers are never wasted. Are yours? No, they're not. I mean, they might not get answered. You might not see the answer. You know, I prayed for his salvation, and he didn't get saved. Well, give it time. Give it time. Wholeheartedly, that love. John 14 says, If you love me, you'll obey what I command. He who does not love me will not obey my words. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Definition of obedience. Definition of obedience. And the importance of obedience. We know how important it is. I know how important it is. I was in the military, and and that's a very structured way of life. And obedience to the commands of those above you, and I don't want to break down the the physical to the spiritual, but yes, sir, you tell me to do it, and I'll do it. You tell me to do it, and I'll do it. That's obeying, unquestioning obedience. God loves you so much. And by showing him that you trust that what he's telling you to do is what needs to be done for sure indicates that you're beginning to know who he is. The importance of obedience. Outward expression of love. If you love him, you'll obey. If you have obedience problem, you have a love problem. Think about, read through Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, which is Joseph wrestling with his job in the Christmas story. 
think about what Joseph had to go through. Crisis of belief, change of attitudes, etc., etc. Joseph had something to do. And what does it cost? What does it cost? Sometimes it costs its comfort. Sometimes it is costly. For this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Uh, that's John chapter 6. There came a time when following Jesus was not an easy thing to do. There was a very, very difficult time when none of the disciples followed him. The only disciple we know of that went to the cross is John. Where were the other bums? I mean, the other disciples. Where were they? I don't want to pay the cost. I don't want to be identified. They might put up a fourth cross or a fifth or a sixth. Can't you just see it? Eleven. But there's a blessing. If you fully obey the Lord, Deuteronomy says, your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord will set you high above all the nations on the earth. All these blessings will come upon you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. Now think here. Every one of you can identify with this one. Jesus was born to Mary physically, and he's the perfect child. He's without sin. Every time Mary said, will you empty the trash? What did Jesus do? No, Mom, I want to watch another program on TV. I'll do it when I get around to it. If I remember, I'll, you know, have you ever had that from a kid? There you are. Perfect child. Mary went through what she went through, and you can figure out that how that worked. And she ended up with what? With Jesus. It must have been a real thrill for the other kids uh, when they came along later. Henry Blackaby says this, Ask God to reveal to you any act of disobedience or lack of obedience in your past. If God brings something to mind, agree with him by confessing your sin, surrender your life afresh, to his lordship and agree that you will obey no matter what the cost. Trust and obey. Heavenly Father, we appreciate you. How did Shirley get these songs? My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. And then the one we're going to sing in just a moment. Check it out. You need to have it out because we're going to do this. I have decided to do what? To follow Jesus. You're going to sing it. Are you going to do it? Do you know God? Have you experienced God's love? Really experienced God's love? And are you willing to take that experience and share it with others? Because that's the mission. God loved you so much that he sent his son. But the verse says, God loved the world so much that he sent his son. Even those that are playing golf today, when they should be in here with us. They're going to miss out on all the cupcakes and stuff. God loves you. Do you really love Him? Let's pray together. Gracious, loving Heavenly Father, we thank You and praise You today. And we just ask that as we go forward today, every step that we take is guided by You. That we are allowing ourselves to be in the footsteps that you would have us to be in and touching 
the lives of individuals, not for us, not for any earthly gain, but for you. Reaching out and touching others for you. And we give thanks and praise now in Jesus' name. Amen. I have decided to follow Jesus. Let's stand as we sing. Let's do another intro. Oh,